everyone, and welcome to Loop Lore, a quick deep dive into a folklore topic where I share some of the stories from around the world that have piqued my interest. Well, when I don't take an unexpected hiatus. Sorry about that, but no one expected it less than me. I was ill November. Feeling much better now? But on top of having too much cough to perform, I had serious brain fog as well as exhaustion stopping me from getting writing done that month. Fortunately, I'm now folklore fit for an important closeout to the year. This episode, we have even more Christmas monsters, which I still haven't quite run out of yet, although next year could be tricky. Then, later this month, we're finishing up the Pagan Wheel of the Year with a deep dive into Yule itself. Let's hit the ground running now I'm recovered, however, and let's have us some festive folklore monstrosities. Any holiday can be a bonus Halloween if you try hard enough, and as we've seen over the years, the midwinter celebrations are weirdly rich in things that go bump in the night. Never trust a scarecrow in winter. Oh, we have a great one here. I was a little worried after covering the obvious Christmas time crackers of Krampus, the Yule Cat, and the Marie Lou, there wouldn't be anything big left to showcase. I was fantastically wrong. Allow me to tell you the tale of Hans Trap, France's flesh eating Christmas scarecrow. This is a legend well known in the Lorraine region, but also the Alsace region in which the start of the story is set before moving over to Bavaria in Germany. Worryingly enough, it may even be based on a real person from the 15th century, although that gets a little complicated as I'll show you in the next segment. Let's get the child eating out of the way first. So, the legend goes, in the 1400s there was this rich and powerful monster of a man called Hans Trapp. Rich is selling Hans short. So the stories go, he was pretty damn wealthy, successful in the way greedy and sociopathic people sadly are able to be at everyone else's expense. Also in line with the greedy and sociopathic of the world, no amount of wealth short of everything would ever be enough. Hungry for more in ways that no amount of land or coin could satisfy, he terrified all the people of Alsace, going beyond simply a human monster to begin making deals with the devil to get even more power at the expense of his soul, and possibly even paid in human sacrifice if he could not be stopped. So infamous was Hans' trap that the Pope at the time personally interceded. Hans was excommunicated, all his hoarded riches and land got confiscated, and he was banished from Alsace to be chased entirely out of France. A fallen monster, however, is no less of a monster while in exile. It just becomes someone else's problem, and has a grudge to carry out against the world. Hans trapped the man fled to Bavaria, set to fester with his rage at the world that foiled his desires, determined to become something both more and less than a mere man. As despicable as Hans was, he was also capable. He constructed a home high in the mountains from which to plot his revenge, deciding he quite fancied the idea of tasting human flesh. As the days grew to their shortest, and the winter feasts were coming, dark inspiration struck Hans trap. He knew how to creep in the cold nights. He knew what kind of monster he wanted to become. Hans scavenged up everything he needed to dress as a scarecrow. The rags to hide under, the sticks to lean upon in between roaming the long nights, and plenty of straw to both complete the guise as well as keeping himself bundled up warm. So the Christmas Scarecrow was now ready to creep in search of human flesh, moving furtively when no one's around, resting propped up on its sticks along the side of empty roads to wait for a victim foolish enough to be alone at night. One day a shepherd's boy, only some ten years old, had the misfortune to cross paths with the Scarecrow. Busy about errands in the dark, just looking to get done then get home, they didn't consider how strange it was for a scarecrow to be abandoned right next to the road instead of in the middle of a fallow field. The poor child didn't stand a chance. 
The scarecrow leapt into life and impaled him on the sharp end of the stake it would lean upon to pretend to be an innocent bundle of straw. Hoisting the stake child up over its shoulder, the cackling hound's trap carried its meal back up to the mountaintop layer. A storm began to move in, but Hans Trap didn't pay it any mind. As peals of thunder rang out, Trap took time to slice up the poor victim into thin slices of meat and began to roast it all up. Once cooked to Hans's satisfaction, likely still pretty raw given who we are dealing with, the cannibal trembled with anticipation as the first taste of flesh was raised to its lips. Only to be promptly struck dead by a bolt of lightning before they could take a bite. So the stories go, this was a divine bolt of lightning. Maybe God was done with Hans Trap, or perhaps Santa stepped in to permanently cross someone off the naughty list. I suppose it could even have been Krampus, unhappy with a French interloper in his area, although if it was Krampus, it probably would have involved more being bundled into a sack and beaten to death against rocks. But the stories did not end there. Naughty children are warned that the spirit of Hans Trap roams the roads at Christmas time, not even welcoming hell. The miserable flesh-hungry scarecrow wants the special festive feast it was denied after coming so close to tasting it in life. So you better bloody well behave, or Hans Trap may come a-tapping at your window. The winter scarecrow's so evil it still wants to devour a child, even after the cosmos stepped in to kick its ass for trying such a low crime. Good children continue to benefit from the blessing that struck down the living trap. Naughty children, however, well, maybe don't be naughty. It's not only not nice, it's not worth chancing it. The other Hans Trap. The tale of the flesh-eating Christmas Scarecrow is one wild ride, but it isn't even the full story. There's even more to unpack, centred on who may be the real-life inspiration for the dark tale of Hans Trap. There was a knight who lived from 1450 to 1503 called Hans van Trofer, who had command of two castles around the Palatine region that covers modern-day borders of France and Germany. This marked the night out as pretty important, covering a lot of contested ground. What may have spun out into the legend of a greedy monster who ran afoul of the church is an almost comical squabble between Sir Von Trofer and an obstinate abbot local to one of his castles. There was apparently a set of disputed properties. Hans Van Trofer insisted that they were under the protection of one of his castles and therefore belonged to him. The abbot of Weissenberg countered that Van Trofer can kiss God's ass, the church owns those properties and he can keep protecting them for free if he knows what's good for his immortal soul. It then devolved into impressive levels of pettiness with the poor residents caught in the middle of this tug-of-war. Sir Bontrofa built a dam to stop the water supply to the town of Weissenberg as leverage of what he saw as the church's overreach. The abbot responded by having the dam destroyed, which resulted in the poor Weissenbergers going from not enough water to far too much water too fast as now the town was flooded. This came to the attention of Pope Innocent VIII, likely going to the townsfolk begging for help at this point. The Pope promptly sides with the abbot, which, given the impression Hans van Trofer is giving, may not have even be a bias and could come down to choice words the knight had to offer about the church at this point. Sir von Trofer is at this point excommunicated, and that appears to be where a significant branch in the story occurs. Should Hans van Trofer have inspired Hans Trap? It likely comes from the church's perspective and tall tales spinning off from that. In reality, there was no retreat into a mountaintop defeated by the church, or child hungry descent into scarecrow themed madness. Instead, Sir Von Trofer would promptly go on to ignore being excommunicated, leading a life of distinguished service in a French court that culminated in King Louis XII awarding him the Chevalier d'Or, and continued antagonism with the Catholic Church. When Pope Alexander VI was anointed, the papal court attempted to summon Hans Von Trofer to review his case. The knight declined, 
instead sending a letter filled with choice language about what he thought of the institution of the papacy. The assorted charges Sir Van Trofer accumulated as a part of his excommunication and beyond were eventually dropped upon his death, forgiveness being given by the church, most likely as a political favour. This was not the end, however. In addition to potentially being the seed for the Hans Trapp story, Hans Van Trofer has a Christmas legend directly attributed to him. It appears to be much more favourable, so if this is a branch in folklore and legend, it comes from the supporting faction of this infamous figure of history. Hans Van Trofer took on a special festive role beyond death. Come Christmas Eve in some regions of France, the phantom of Sir Van Trofer is the Black Knight accompanying Santa Claus. Should a child fall short of the nice list and not have earned any presents this Christmas, instead of a gentle visit from Santa to be discovered the next day, the notorious knight will storm into their room to punish them. Less terrifying than the hunger of Hans Trap, still not a happy alternative to presents. I've seen some mention of Hans Van Trofer being regionally tiled into wild hunt myths. In his guise as the Black Knight of Santa, he may head up his region's wild hunt during midwinter storms. I would suggest that even if you are a fan of the man, this is a bonus reason to not go outside in a December blizzard. Moral of the story remains the same. Be good for goodness sake, kids. Do you really want to have to fight Santa's Black Knight when you could just behave for some cool festive loot instead? Frau Perkta's Little Helpers We've already talked about Frau Perkta on the second Krampusnacht back in 2020. In European folklore tradition, she acts as something as a feminine counterpart to the more masculine Krampus. Santa's now pretty well-known goat demon. The short version of Frau Perkta is that if you're good and get all your chores done before Christmas, she may reward people with a coin. If, however, you make the good Frau angry with your naughtiness or by being lazy, she can fly into a rage where she slits open someone's belly before stitching them back up filled with rocks and straw instead of the important squishy bits. She is something of a localised phenomenon, however. It's very easy to miss Frau Perkta. She wanders at her own pace around areas she has chosen to roam. She's missing the key festive omnipresence of Santa and any entity accompanying him to deal with the naughty list. Not that you should push your luck, of course. You shouldn't mix up having your guts on the inside and rocks on the outside. So stay on top of your tidying up while being extra polite to strange old beggar women wandering on winter nights. It's not worth taking a chance, and a neat antique coin could be in it for you. However, while limited in scope of how much damage she can do at any one time, the good Frau wanders far and wide year to year, and in Switzerland she has some help punishing the naughty. A strange multitude of festive fiends like her style, and are poised to rampage all over the unlucky. This is the Stragelli. For all intents and purposes, the Stragelli are a horde of mini-Krampus. Hairy horned demons that have taken a liking to Frau Perkta as she wanders about on the twelve days of Christmas, taking in the sights and hoping to find some nice people to reward, they run about in her wake. This gives the good Frau significant extra reach in Switzerland, where the Stragelli call home. While linked to Frau Perkta, the Stragelli are more of a force of supernature, the storm that swarms around her. They're pretty simple, all told, not that that means you'd want to cross paths with them. They enjoy eating leftovers. Super simple to deal with, leave your leftovers out at night for the 12 days of Christmas. If the Stragelli fall across your door and they find leftovers, they will gobble them up and rush off to a different house at random. If they don't get their leftovers, however, they may rob your house. They may beat up and rob your children, which isn't very nice, but they are demons. Then there's what they do to naughty children. If you mess up and the Stragelli storm your town without you feeding them, and there's a naughty child to target, said naughty child is in serious demon-related trouble. 
So some stories go, the Stragelli will drag naughty children into the street and begin throwing them into the earth over and over again, ultimately ripping the child to pieces before devouring the parts. In what should be a surprise to no one, it turns out that a pack of ravenously hungry demons is best avoided. Make sure you leave leftovers out to satiate the Stragelli. Your best case scenario is having the door kicked down by a mob of demons who want to rob your house beating up any children they found. The worst case scenario is pretty damn drastic. Leaving out offerings for Christmas demon feels a little theologically dicey, but the alternative seems worse here. A special Sunday in Norway. Okay, I'm pushing myself a little with this one. No easy English sources, and certainly not something I'm too familiar with, but it's a fascinating one. Listeners of Norwegian descent, I apologise in advance for the mangled pronunciations that are about to follow. You're about to enter the exclusive club of, at least Luke tried, the Welsh and Irish have to put up with. This is the story of Emereftan, the night of the last Sunday ahead of Christmas, and the strange sights people of Norway are best not to seek out. Imakolden, or Sunday, is the day that the otherworldly folk of all different tribes have come together, culminating in parties in the night. The Emerefton. I saw this referred to as Norway's fae, and regular listeners will know I have a bit of an issue with the relatively recent term fairy. For Norway, this is the Hwaga folk or Huldra folk, the mound people. They share intriguing parallels with British folklore about the Eoshi, those of the otherworld sometimes called the good neighbours in the hope they will politely live up to that description instead of indulging in magical chaos at everyone's expense. I've seen an interesting translation of the Huaga folk as hillbillies, which may be a cute reference to them, or it could just be Google Translate going rogue. I'll be referring to them as Huaga folk and hoping for the best that I'm pronouncing it right. The Huaga folk are pretty distinct in appearance. Again, there's some serious resonance here with assorted European storytelling traditions. They could almost be human at a glance. Only a close look would reveal that they have pointed ears and a tail. If you can get them to turn around, or otherwise sneak up behind them, you could discover that they are in fact hollow, presenting something as a shell in appearance that you can completely see inside of from the right angle. There are a few magical powers common among the Hawaga folk. They can hide or else reveal themselves as they see fit, and they can transform a person's perception to appear a lot more beautiful than they truly are, a Norwegian equivalent to the Celtic and Gallic glamour. Should they choose to appear to a human, they may offer advice. Anything from the simple up to the extraordinary or bizarre. If their advice should be followed, however strange it may be, they have the power to reward you for it. The flip side is, they can also punish anyone who went against that advice. My gut says the best thing to do is to not be offered that advice in the first place, as you don't know what terms you may be blundering into, nor how bad the consequence may be should you fail to follow the instructions. While they are similarly powerful to such otherworldly creatures across a wide range of cultures, they have a simple counter. If you throw steel at the Huaga folk, they will disappear, along with any magic they have enacted. If you're not careful, they're virtually omnipotent, but you can dispel not only them but their effects upon you and the world with the simple counter to them. It's all about knowing what to do, and preferably not messing with them all in the first place. Which leads us back around to Imerefton. The night of the last Sunday before Christmas is when the Huaga folk will be out and about. All the various clans will be meeting peacefully with each other on this night, a festivity of their own. The Huaga folk would not be looking to bother with humans too much. This is their own holiday to meet and mingle amongst themselves. This doesn't mean they won't mess with the unwary or inadvisably foolish, however. Any given land's overworld is best left well alone, so it is advisable that mere mortals stay indoors on the night of the Imereften. This takes us back around to the inadvisably foolish, however. 
And people with a greater sense of adventure than that of self-preservation may go out on that night hoping to mingle at a Huaga folk party. Should you manage such a thing, whether by design or extraordinarily weird luck, follow the usual procedure for blundering into an overworld. Stay polite, try not to accept anything offered, specifically advice in this instance, and leave as soon as you can without angering any Huaga folk doing so. Emerefton is a great time of the year to stay home in the warm, curled up with Christmas movies and hot chocolate, as opposed to be out looking for mischief. Although maybe have some handy steel on you if you absolutely do have to go roaming about Norway on the last Sunday night before Christmas. That's all for this year's batch of Christmas monsters, but we're not quite done for 2022 yet. The Pagan Wheel of the Year has one last stop with a special look at Yule to come. I hope you've enjoyed yet another pile of reasons to stay off the naughty list, and I apologise again for vanishing for a month. Whatever I caught was not pleasant. Hopefully I stay off the naughty list myself for this, but I needed that recovery time to be back on form for the festive season and beyond into the new year. Luke Law is a Ghost Story Guys production. If you do want to contact me, then there's the show's dedicated email, lukelawgsg at gmail.com, and the general show email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Both myself and the main show are really easy to find on Facebook and Twitter if you want to make day-to-day contact, as well as a very active Instagram account a lot of the community gets involved with. If you want to support the show directly, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We do have Luke Law merchandise available at the Ghost Story Guys online store. Feel very free to show off any you get online. We have an ongoing push to promote Luke Law more, and the dedicated Facebook group for the show is now live if you want to come join us over there. As ever though, the absolute best thing anyone can do to support the show is to give it a listen. Share this around if you think you may know someone who may be interested, leave a review if you get the chance to help signal boost me, and most of all, I simply hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Goodbye for now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.